0: everybody and welcome again to Film Shots. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to interview a composer named John Plenge. He's out there in New York City. And he is on the Skype for those of you who don't know what Skype is. Um, Skype is a program that you put on your computer and you can talk over the internet and you get long distance phone calls. So um, John has been good enough to download the Skype on his machine over there and. Um, He is here live with us. Hey, John, how are you doing?
1: Great. How are you, Joel? How's everything? Good,
0: thanks. Um, We are going to be doing this more often because what we want to do is we don't just want to interview filmmakers in Los Angeles, but we want to interview filmmakers all over the country and all over the world. So we thank you, John, for taking your time and being here today.
1: Thanks for having me, man. It's a a cold very cold clear day in new york and i don't want to, is it really i don't want to hear about the beach weather out there
0: well it's kind of pathetic i was feeling uh, sort of cold myself but i'm sure it's not that cold here yeah uh, my cold is is warm to you i'm sure and are you in your studio is that where you are
1: i am ta- actually talking through a very low-tech mic though high-tech low-tech lo-fi hi-fi you know that's cool <laughs> I was going to give a shout-out to, uh, actually, oh. a thank you to you for the, the Skype um, tip. I, I'm, I'm actually in the midst of a collaboration with a filmmaker in Istanbul, uh, oh, wow. uh, director Genjo Gulan on a film called Newest. And mm-hmm. he and I, you know, I, I've always worked in the past sending files of mine through my FTP site, but that just takes a while to get back on email and stuff. And so I downloaded this thing last week when you had contacted me about this interview. And Genjo and I in Istanbul have been uh, collaborating over his film. We're kind of getting to the end of it, and it's been great, man. <laughs> you know, and it's oh, like, that's cool. yeah, it's and so thank you. And I, I'd I'd kind of heard about it, and then it went in the back of my brain. It's one of those things that it didn't get pulled out until you mentioned it last week. And so it, Genjo and I have been hooked up on this, and it's really helped the the filmmaking process for us. You know.
0: Oh, that's very good. I know it's amazing the things you can do across the internet these days. Right. I know my my dad had to do a presentation in China and he wanted to do it on PowerPoint and he didn't know anything about PowerPoint and I ended up working with him. I'm in Los Angeles, he's in Seattle. We worked across the internet um, and we could both see the same image and and work on the same image. So it's really incredible the collaboration um, that can happen through the internet these days. it's,
1: it's It's really beautiful and it's like you know, and for some of this, I was, instead of plugging my mic in, I was actually taking the output of this score I was working on and inputted it right into the computer. So I could hear him, or, you know, I could hear him responding to these cues, and he would have the image up, his video, you know, QuickTime image up, and he could hear my score to that. There was a little bit of a delay, oh but
0: gosh, he that's great. he was
1: getting the idea, you know. So it, it's like, yeah. and, you know, people passing on this information it's like information wants to be free you know and it's and, and you mm-hmm. you shared that with me and then it helped our collaboration so that's that's the beautiful Fantastic. that's a very cool thing you know so thank I'm you glad, man. <laughs>
0: glad we could help can you tell me more about this film that that he's making um it, it's a it's an
1: experimental feature um he's a director um i have worked with actually in the theater world before mm-hmm. he uh, he's based in istanbul turkey We had met in New York and did a number of theater and kind of short experimental films here. And this is kind of his second feature film that's actually, he's, uh, it's already been accepted at the Ankara Film Festival, um, which is a kind of a big international film festival there. I think it's in the spring. Uh, The film was called Newest, and it's based Mm -hmm. on a bunch of diaries that were written right after 9-11 from a Muslim and Turkish Middle Eastern perspective. And it's a lot of it's shot in the aqueducts, which are underneath Istanbul. It's really kind of beautifully, strikingly visual. You know, it's a.
0: This sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's been a cool film.
1: But um, and he's kind of a, oh yeah, know a couple year collaborator with me, and and the Skype thing just really kind of made it feel like we're still in my living room again together. You know, which is which is nice. That's what you want. You know. That's great. Yeah, but.
0: <laughs> so how did now? It seems to me your perspective with music is uh, u- unique. Um, how did you get involved with music? Um, did, did you start out as a musician for theater? or how, Can you tell me yeah. something about the history of how you've gotten to where you are today?
1: It's a genesis of primarily working uh, in studio. Um, I'm primarily a studio engineer. Um, music engineer, producer, of course that entails playing, you know, I play guitar, keyboards, sitar, balama, you know, you as a musician and engineer, you end up playing a lot of these things. And I, I really started out as an engineer and worked for a long time in London, and Barcelona, um, worked on a Pink Floyd record, Wet, 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 lots of kind of pop and rock music in Europe um, before moving wow. to New York. And then really got involved here in like the downtown Experimental music and uh, experimental theater scene, and still recording and producing artists, but then kind of starting to do more live performing um, with ensembles and accompanying live theater shows. I would do a lot of stuff with like a laptop and a cello player and a singer and a piano player, but all my music has some kind of studio electron—not electronic, but usually processed, um, at least some kind of processed bed of. Um, electronic sound underneath it you know
0: now we're going to play your music at mm-hmm. the intro of the show so our listeners at this point probably have heard your music um, and uh, hopefully you know people will go to your website which is your your company is called the Tone Factory?
1: Uh, well, it's tonefactory.com.
0: dot uh, com. It's
1: a company of one and many collaborators, but it's it's mainly mm-hmm. just me. You know, um, yeah. When you say company, I mean I'm a freelance composer, sound designer, but I have, you know, orchestrators and studio assistants that work with me project to project but yeah it's a it's a company of one
0: <laughs> tone factory is john Plant. that's
1: yeah it's it's kind of it, that was kind of a pseudo name i had for many years mm-hmm. as a performer um mm-hmm. in new york and in and, and a lot of these theater pieces um so people kind of knew me as tone factory so it's kind of like an aka in a way you know
0: oh i get it uh, i invite people to go to your website because and i'll put a link on our website because it is a nice experience i've been listening to his music um, since I've become aware of it and it's very environmental kind of it, it's something that you can play in the background and it's it can be soothing um, it is also something that that seems to be a marriage of many different styles eastern styles western styles uh, maybe you can explain yeah. your style yeah. a little bit to us
1: well that that is it I mean I, I always I, I got a formal education um, in music at the Indiana University. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really feel like I really got my education in New York, just working on the street, in the theaters, you know. So it's really this kind of amalgam. I I have done a lot of traveling in India and the Middle East. And throughout those times, I've picked up, you know, learning how to play the sitar and the balama, which is a Turkish guitar, and a little bit of the oud. And so I really do kind of... The oud? the oud is a it's a turkish guitar a nylon or huh. it's actually the it's where our guitar came from it was kind of the first lute uh, from arabia you know, the middle eastern countries um iraq primarily and i yeah I, I always kind of slam together this kind of eastern um eastern sounds with a western ear towards technology and um and sound design plays a big role in the the music i do um i, I primarily usually compose over a bed of some kind of environmental sound. I, I do a lot of sampling with, you know, field recorders, and I, uh, my scores will be a mixture of melodic instruments, acoustic instruments, with this kind of found sound, or music concrete, you know, as the, the French call it, this kind of bed of, like, found and appropriated, edited together environmental sounds, and
0: you know what it reminds me of just in my limited experience with this kind of thing is this movie called touch the sound have you seen this yes i have um that's a a, a drummer i guess um yeah what yeah and um that's, oh go ahead
1: and she uh is deaf i i, I actually she's I, deaf. I actually haven't seen that if i'm i don't know if i've
0: you're right it's the woman who's deaf yes. and she's a percussionist
1: right, right. Oh. Uh,
0: which is incredible. I mean, the, you watch the movie. The movie is a movie by um, Thomas Riedelsheimer. And it is a movie about this woman who's a who's a percussionist. She happens to be deaf. You find out kind of as you watch the movie, but it's like a minor thing. Right. Uh, it, it seems it, it's almost one of the things that brought her to percussion uh, because she said that she could actually feel it through her entire body more than maybe she would if she were just to use her ears right and listen to it
1: right that that is exactly you know that that whole um the, the whole vibrational thing i have a, i have a white cat who's mm-hmm. uh, my studio assistant basically mm-hmm. whenever i'm working and she's deaf um she, yeah. she's got two different colored eyes and she's deaf and but she responds to the music i'm creating she'll like lay up on the Keyboard lay up on the the, the the different you know furniture in my studio, and she really responds to this this thumping of the speakers, you know, and it, wow. it is a physical, you know, the sound is a completely physical thing as well as oral, you know. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Evelyn Glennie is her name. I have the yeah the added um, uh, help here of the internet when we have an internet conversation like this, so I gonna But uh, she's uh, an amazing percussionist. Right. Deaf, I you know highly recommend that sh- that movie Touch the Sound. Um, but I want to get back to John here, and John, when you compose for a movie, what's your process there?
1: Um, I I rarely like to read scripts. Um, mm-hmm. I what I usually like to do is get a as close to a lock as the mm-hmm. director will have uh, QuickTime file, and then I really at at a meeting, even before I've watched it, I just like to talk to the director about the process he had writing it primarily and like what his characters, you know, what is their like, you know, transition through the movie. And just in general moods. And then I like to go back to my studio, watch it once or twice and get some initial things down right away. You know, like watching the picture on my monitor and really just kind of responding to the visuals and what's happening, like that immediate gut reaction, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I'll hang away at it a little bit, and then we'll actually have a spotting session after that where the director will either come to my studio or I'll go to his or her studio, and we'll actually watch the film and start pinpointing exact spots where they're hearing it. And oftentimes I might have music in different places, but I, I kind of like that initial response first because oftentimes I might spend two or three weeks going through all kinds of different things just to end up back where I was that first night when I just watched really? it the first time yeah it's um
0: so you think that the, that your first impression is very important when it comes to
1: absolutely yourself. you know just to, just to tie like because I'm you know w- what happens then is that when it goes to screen these people that come to the screening are only seeing it they're seeing it for the first time as well and they mm-hmm. don't re- they don't know that I spent like six weeks on the score or we labored over the sound design or there was a certain mix or we had to recut this recut that they just get the the totality of the experience you know and so i kind of like to try to take off my like composer ears and take off my like you know technical ears and just watch the film and then immediately just what colors are hitting me i try to like go to my instruments and and just try to get some stuff down roughly really quickly you know um, and oftentimes that's the kernel of the, the main parts of the themes and scores is, is that initial thing. Now, of course, other things are harder because then you get going back and forth, but that at least gives me a palette to kind of work from, you know. Um, a, I understand, yeah. Of sounds and directions, you know.
0: I Now, we have a mutual friend that we didn't know we had up until yesterday or something, Um, and his name's Kelvin Bias, Yeah. and he did a film... Um, called Photographic Memory that I saw when I was in the Cannes film market.
1: Yeah, last spring, yeah.
0: Last spring. And it seemed to me that the music in that film was so intrinsic to the film, I can't imagine the the film being even cut before the music was made. how? What was the process on that film? That,
1: that's, that's really good intuition but um, that's another thing I was going to say is it's often really good Uh, another film I did first person a feature film I did um, pretty much had me in from the beginning they were sending me rough edits and I would start scoring to it and then send it back and they would start adjusting some of their edits to what I was doing and that's a great marriage and that's pretty much what you're talking about with Kelvin's film uh, photographic Mm -hmm. I kind of saw a rough um, version of it with he and Faisal his editor and then I went back and started I just really was inspired by the visuals of that in that film uh, very kind of post-apocalyptic futuristic sci-fi thing. I was really digging it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wrote that score like in like maybe two days like really quickly because it really hit me, you know, emotionally.
0: affected that score
1: and yeah and so then they and they had a lot of other temp stuff in there and then i played that to them and they were immediately like oh my god you know let's and they were really it was really a great experience this collaboration and so they started editing some of their stuff to my music and then i would see it edit that they would do and we went back and forth again for about another three weeks after that and we really that's why it's got that nice montage feeling where it's got you know, it, it really has this image sound thing locked in. I feel you know it's it, it is mm-hmm. it's a nice experience and and they they were kind of vibing off stuff I was sending them and then I it w- it really became this symbiotic uh, relationship and that's what I, I suggest to everyone if you can do that is involve your you know your composer sound designer if if they can as early on in the editing as possible mm-hmm. um, wh- when when you can and. Um, if you know you're going to be working for this with this person for three or four weeks or a month or two months or whatever that is, you know, it feed them some of those things, and, and it, you might see that you can kind of go back and forth and make that film tighter. You know, if, if there's this lock between the image and sound, you know.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, when you said that they had it, they had some temp sound. I just want to clarify that for listeners. A lot of times people will edit to what they call a temporary a temp track. Um, yeah. Attempt track, and what is that exactly? Just um,
1: it, it can it can be great and or it can completely kill inspiration. But it's um, you know when you're going through the pre-cut stages and you're starting to do your assemblage of the of the edits, of the visual edits, the film edits. Oftentimes, people put in temporary music; they call it temp music, um, of stuff that they like or stuff that's hitting them emotionally, or Beethoven's Ninth or Bjork or Radiohead or, you know, Sibelius or whatever they're listening to, you know, that's hitting them emotionally Mm -hmm. and thinking to themselves, oh, well, this is a kind of a, a little barometer that when I tell my composer or sound designer what I want, I can kind of play them this music. Sometimes it's very helpful, but I've found that oftentimes it kills for me that initial, like I was saying earlier, that initial emotion because if I'm hearing temp music in there that I have some other feeling for you know mm-hmm. Beethoven's knife may not hit me like it did him when he was editing it you know so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reacting to a different you know um, feeling or if it's a, a Rolling Stones song that like I had some other you know relationship to and it's not the same feeling it's really it's really tricky it's really subjective you know um, so it, it, it's it's okay if when you're editing you want to hear some music but you can't get married to that if you if you really want to work effectively with a composer because they're going to bring their own ideas and it may not be exactly what you've been hearing for the last three months while you've been editing this but you kind of got to get over that you know
0: yeah i I would think that sometimes it would be a little bit constrictive if somebody comes in with their temp track and they're like well we just want music like that yeah maybe they're just going to a composer because obviously they can't right license radiohead or something they can't afford it right It, Um, it really
1: is and it's Another um, uh, filmmaker I, I just finished a film with uh, a film called Cherry Blossoms from My Past. It's a really another kind of really beautiful um, film shot in Japan uh, mm-hmm. with Akira, Kura, uh, Akira Kurashi, Akira Karashi who's doing the voiceover. He's kind of a famous Japanese actor, mm-hmm. and they had tempted in a lot of like traditional Japanese music. And one particular piece of music, Sakura, which is like a very famous uh, Japanese folk song, and but Marat and I have worked together on a bunch of films, and he knew I wanted. To, he knew that he wanted me to compose it, so I composed a score, and it took him like listening to my score seven to ten times because he knew he had to get over the temp track envy thing. Because you know, <laughs> he he knew that already, but so he yeah. told me he said on this film it took me like seven to eight times to just. To get it out of your ears, you got to get the temp track out of your ears. And then you start hearing the new colors open up, you know. And now, of course, he loves my score. And he's like, I can't imagine the film without this score. And he's like, well, then I could write you another one. And you have to you know, And that's how it works, man. You know, it's it's a funny thing. Bernard Herrmann and uh, Alfred Hitchcock used to go through this a lot because um, Alfred Hitchcock would use old Herrmann scores in his new films, you know. So like he would use you know whatever rear window for psycho or whatever when he was starting to cut it you know, and then Bernard. So he'd use it yeah, just as a exactly track. because he knew he liked Bernard Herman, but he would use Bernard Herman's old cues you know and and bernard Herne was a very iconoclastic like very grumpy guy and he would he would basically yell at hitchcock and say you know why just pay me and just use that again you're driving me crazy with this temp stuff you know i'm gonna write you something new or just pay me now and stop bothering me you know it was just like it was like that you know it was, It's temp temp scores are tricky you know
0: <laughs> so when you score a film are you usually the only um person who plays the instruments or do you bring in people or um, how do you usually do that yeah that's a great
1: one i mean especially for for your audience the, the whole you know the whole indie it, it depends on budgets and when mm-hmm. i can i mean there, there's so many different facets to this you know good 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 question but um when i can there's nothing like working with real musicians i, I did a feature film that featured the scorchio string quartet it's kind of a a performing quartet here in New York City and um, scored that for string quartet and electronics and guitar and actually was able to work with the live string quartet. It was incredible. We spent a day recording all the cues at a studio. It's just there's nothing like that.
0: Can you tell me that process just briefly about, okay, so you've got the Scortio Quartet you're in a studio. Mm-hmm. Do you have a big screen where you play the movie?
1: No, 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 no. That, I do you well score it already. It, it's yeah. What? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 cues had already been mocked up with my um, MIDI equipment, you know, and and that's another point that usually for most indie films it kind of stops there, you know, because I I can get a very realistic sound out of my equipment. So for most you know produce pr- production companies and especially first time filmmakers. That is about all the budget is going to allow. Um, mm-hmm. But then, the- can you explain that? I'm sorry. Oh my to gosh, interrupt you, but there's so many Just points. MIDI, um,
0: because we talked about this on another show, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we clarified it exactly. But yeah. um, could you tell me what MIDI is? Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's called musical instrument digital interface. It's a uh, it's just mm-hmm. techie terms for being able to um, emulate uh, to be able to play. A piano or a MIDI controllable instrument into a computer sequencer and record those notes so that, uh, okay, you may not be playing back the piano sound, but then you can attach those notes to a violin or a cello or a group of stringed instruments. It's basically, in the film scoring world, it, it's really what is the first step in directors hearing the score as it's going to be. It, it, it's basically, you know then what happens is that MIDI information gets translate, translate into triggering acoustic uh, string instruments and timpani and, you know, horns and, and flutes and pianos and all kinds of things. And electronically. Electronically, right? I mean, exactly, exactly, exactly. So that the director or product, you know, producer and director can hear what this mm-hmm. score is going to basically sound like, of course, it's not mixed yet and it's not completely, you know, up to, you know, finished but they get to hear these these kind of mock-ups the the, mm-hmm. the 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 beginnings of the score and then oftentimes in any film world it, it stops there you know I mean I'm usually mm-hmm. hired to do what they call a package deal where it's like well I'm going to write it play it record it and usually mix it and since I'm also a sound designer oftentimes I'm doing a lot of the sonic ambient stuff um, but mm-hmm. for for you know larger budget films I'm actually able to then take those mock-ups those mini mock-ups and turn them into uh, notation, um, you know, actually printed out music um, mm-hmm. through a program called Sibelius. And for this thing, I hired an orchestrator to help me with some of the bowings and some of the dynamic markings for the cello and, and violin. And then we actually went to the studio. The musician had never heard the music ever before, you know, and we basically went mm-hmm. to the studio. They had the music from my, you know, computer printout on their stands and we said go and we're not i'm not watching the film at that point because i'd already knew the cues weren't locked in you know Mm -hmm. so we and i knew the lanes of them. we just banged them out that way um on bigger scores yes you will be watching and conducting you know you'll be watching the the picture and you'll be conducting the orchestra and you'll be actually because the, the, the it's kind of free time, you know. You're kind of speed up here, slow down there. You're watching the markers on the film to know when to speed up and slow down the musicians to hit the marks. You know. Um, when
0: you say markers on the film, is that something you can actually see on the film as you watch yeah, it? Yeah, that
1: um, on on bigger like. I
0: hate to be so. Um, there's technical about. There's that. there's, there's lots very of
1: there's tons to talk about, but yeah, in in the larger um, orchestral settings, when um, you're you're actually in front of an orchestra, you will be watching. Either on a smaller monitor or on on a big um, screen, the musicians don't. The musicians watch the conductor, but there'll be streamers, and the the music editor will have already worked out your cues from your MIDI mockups and put in like the tempo, um, you know, the tempo streamers, so that you know when things are going to go faster and slower. You know.
0: I see. So when does your MIDI mockup print out music in a traditional way?
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. After a fashion, you have to really kind of mess with it. Um, I, you know, I, I use uh, Digital Performer and Logic to do my composing and arranging and, and writing and recording, and then when I then you know bump it out for a, a string quartet or a larger ensemble, I use a program called Sibelius, which will then take my MIDI. Uh, MIDI um, lines, uh, you know MIDI instruments separate out and print out the violin part, print out the cello part and we do the, the you know the cor- the score preparation that way um, so that each in- each in- each musician has their own score to read from. Um, and you always have to clean up those you know it's not an exact <laughs> it's not an exact mm-hmm. translation you know what you put in isn't always what gets printed out so then you have to kind of mess with it or work with an orchestrator to help you, You'll really fully realize those notes so that they are um, dynamically and, and articulated properly for each instrument.
0: How, for a feature film, let's say, let's say this one, was it a feature film that you had that quartet? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep yeah. How long did it take you to record the score?
1: Well, I, I um... The, the string quartet wasn't – it was kind of – you want to kind of like think about the film Requiem for a Dream if you want to. It's kind of mm-hmm. similar the way they used um, – I think they they used the Kronos Did Quartet. That? It was the Kronos Quartet. Oh, Kronos Quartet. And mm-hmm. I mean similar um, – and uh, Cliff Martinez I think was the, the composer for that. And I used it in a similar way. It was – The string quartet was only featured in in probably maybe half of the film, and the other half of it was guitar and electronics and drum loops and my kind of ambience and stuff. Um, So the recording session was all during one day. It it took me about four weeks to do the whole score, and it was about a 100-minute film. Mm -hmm. And I recorded all the parts that I played in myself, and then we just did the... The actual string quartet session was only a two-hour session. You know, these guys are union. You know, they're they're you know New York Philharmonic, Staten Philharmonic, Staten. They're Armonic. very expensive. Yeah, it's you know the, the 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 clock is ticking, so you have an hour hour to two hours to record. We recorded like twelve cues in two hours. With you 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 work for forty five minutes and you take a fifteen minute break, kind of thing. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and what is that film called again?
1: Uh, it's called First Person. Uh, First person. Richard D'Angelo uh, for uh, Swirly Angel Productions um, out of Long Island, here in New York City. Um, and I think it, it's on IMDb. You can get through it through IMDb. We'll and check that yeah, movie out. there are definitely uh, there's uh, on my website in the film, uh, either in the film or the the jukebox area, there is pieces of that score um, on my website
0: on your website that's something i want to point out to our listeners on his website there are a lot of samples of his music that you can listen to right there and you can see if you know john is somebody that you want to involve in your film because i think he's it he really has an amazing sound and i think you'll find it it's it's very broad and very full and, and encompasses a lot of different styles so i highly recommend going to tone factory dot com and checking that out because it's it's great stuff. I, I appreciate um, that, appreciate that. Sure, I mean it really is, I speak the truth. Yeah. So are there, there's a section on there that has, I think it has albums. Yes. Do you have albums also?
1: I, I do, I, I um, as I said before I started doing a lot of film work I uh, was a music producer and songwriter and I produced a, a number of kind of experiment pop and rock records um, here and in Europe And a recent one, I just finished a collaboration with a singer based in L.A. called Maraid, um, called The Orange Project, which was, basically, we worked on a film. I I wrote a song for a film, uh, a song called Watching, Waiting, and we worked on that together. Basically, I wrote all the tracks, and she came in and sang the the vocals, and it just had this really, we just clicked immediately, she and I, like her voice over my kind of orchestral, as you said, this broad east-west kind of music style. And so she and I and her manager sat down, and he goes, let's just make a whole record of this. So we, you know, over the course of the last year, I wrote and she co-wrote with me uh, about 12 to 14 songs that then became The Orange Project. And it's kind of a collaboration between my experimental film stuff and her incredibly beautifully soaring uh, vocal layers and textures, you know, kind of a cross between Massive Attack, Bjork, um, Enya. I think of, like
0: you said, Pink Floyd, also because of the yeah. You know, sometimes they would do these incredible vocals that would be in there. Right. I don't know whether it sounds exactly like that, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: it's and it's got the and it's, you know it also has different interludes where it's just orchestral stuff taken from films and things that I wrote just for the record. But it's it's a really nice, uh, kind of colorful experimental pop record. And it's um, being released this month. We're shopping it around looking for a label, you know, um, mm-hmm. and she's on momentum management. Um, so I'm kind of working it here in New York, and they're working it out in L.A. And we've got some interest on one of the songs to be in a film um, mm-hmm. that's being shot out in L.A. in the spring. Uh, How
0: difficult is it if somebody heard something on your website and they wanted to um, put it in their film? Is it Do they, do they have to deal with a lot of... Um, Film labels, or is there is it well, no, I, I, totally out of their reach, or yeah. do you think it's pretty manageable?
1: I, I totally own and you know publish my own music, but I that kind of just plucking a piece of music and sticking it in. I mean, I that's kind of uh, kind of a, an advice I can give. It, it's best to just do stuff from scratch, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this whole issue of using songs or do you do underscore, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's definitely places for songs in films, but then the underscore is really what kind of gels your images together, and it's kind of hard to license something that's already been written and just plunk it into your movie. I mean, yes, I have done that for people, but the best times, the best things that serve the image in the film the best is to have stuff written, custom made, you know, you, you actually tailor make it for the scenes, you know. Um, but yes, my, my music is licensable. I've done that for a few TV shows and stuff um, here, where they've heard stuff they really liked and they licensed thirty seconds of this and a minute of that. Do
0: you find that because sound is often at the kind of at the end of the line for of the filmmaking process that you don't have a lot of time?
1: Yeah, typically you know you get the the three to four weeks kind of thing, or or oh hey, did we tell you also that this is going to this festival and here's the deadline and. You know, I, I recently read the... the I follow a lot of the lot bigger Hollywood things, you know, in the, the, the King Kong, you know, Howard Shore got replaced on that film. Uh-oh. James Doerr and Howard got called three weeks. The posters are already going out. He had, like, three weeks. Of course, he has a team of people working with him, but, you know, it's, oftentimes that's what happens, and especially the digital world, like, I'll, I'll be scoring stuff, and they'll be like, oh, and here's our new edit, and, oh, I did... We, here's a new... And here's the new credits, and, oh, we put a little more black, and it's like because it's because in final cut and avid and wherever you know you can constantly be changing and editing it's always fluid you know so how and, do
0: you combat against that how do you what kind of a structure do you set up let's say someone says they want you to score their film and then you maybe give them a price on it how do you handle pricing those right. kind well, of things out?
1: yeah i mean it, it's you know the, the developing a language musically with a director is the same thing as developing a language business wise with a director but i always say well, up to a reason, there'll be some rewrites and stuff, but if it goes beyond the call of normal, hey, you know, you know beyond the normal back and forth, it has to be a little more of a bump, you know, in mm-hmm. in, in the, the the fee, you know. Um, and then oftentimes if it's a package deal, you try to, you know, build that wiggle room into it. But, um, you know, it does, there is a fair amount of back and forth, but if it goes beyond that, it, you know, there has to be, you know, professional courtesy on both sides of it, you know. Right. And, do you and,
0: make a contract when you do that?
1: um Everything you know, it's it's all this stuff, even fees and everything. It's all it's all in the abstract. It, it's project per project. You know, there's there's projects that are in the twenties of thousands of dollars. There's projects that are in the thousands of dollars. There's projects that are in the hundreds of dollars. You know, mm-hmm. and it really it it's that range. And I. I try to leave myself open for everything. Of course, I'd take a three hundred thousand dollar film, if, you know. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It, it's it it it's all within the range, of, and there's great films being made for five, six thousand, thousand dollars, you know, sure or under. I mean, it, it's and it so it's all it's depends on your emotional involvement to the project mm-hmm. and how you feel and and your you know your feelings with the director and, and you know a lot of you know a lot of the films I do are repeat things. I I've done a couple different films two or three films for the same directors and it kind of, you start developing a relationship and then the, the, all the business money thing is easier then, you know, because you're and also the musical language is easier, you know you kind of know what they're going for when they say this certain kind of sound and you they also know your respect and your limits for, you know, the the contracts and the fees you know, Mm -hmm. um and yeah, then there's always like the the film festival, you know, um, license agreement that for especially indie films that you should work out with your composer or people that you're licensing music from that kind of says you have the right to use this music in sync with your film for these festivals for this period of time. You know, kind of gets it's always great to get stuff in writing, you know. Yeah. Get the stuff out. Like then there's it. no yeah. Then friends, you can still remain friends. You know, it doesn't have to get you know. <laughs> Um,
0: exactly. It seems like that—that's an important part of your um, relationship with a filmmaker. Is probably the the business negotiations, well, as yes. well as the artistic negotiations, and not letting
1: it it you know get in the way of things. You know, um, mm-hmm. and just to to respect each other professionally.
0: That makes good sense. I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. Um, we've got the section Absolutely. where we where we do the film bites, and I wanted to hear. You know what your film bite was?
1: Um, you mean film bite like some, like
0: a little piece of advice for right. new filmmakers? Some filmmakers that'll um, help them on their filmmaking journey.
1: Yeah, I I, I can I can say it from a um, a film from both sides of the coin. But but making being very aware of your audio. You know, you're of course I'm biased that way. But it really I can't tell you the amount of film festival I sat through and you can you forgive like you know shaky cameras, you know, duffed lines, you know, bad acting, you know, dark light, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if your set, if your onset sound is bad to begin with, it carries through to the whole thing, you know, and and that will affect your composer or your sound designer. If your onset location sound is not good and there's lots of you know, extraneous noise and it's just, it's just kind of a mess, it, it, really, it really changes everything all the way down the line. You know? that,
0: that's something that we've said on the show also before, is that oftentimes a film is only as good as its audio sometimes. Uh, you, know, it is really, you can tell uh, when you're watching a film. or If the audio is bad, it gives you a whole bad impression for the film. Whereas right. if the picture is a little fuzzy or whatever, that can be some kind of artistic decision that someone has made, right? And uh, it doesn't affect you as much as the sound being bad is. Can sometimes even be irritating.
1: Well, it, completely irritating. I mean, hopefully it's, it, the
0: the sound on our um, film shots today won't be irritating, <laughs> but we will listen to our uh, listen to it after we've recorded, yeah. I guess.
1: And that that is because it's it's like you could, the eye is more forgiving and. It it affects decisions later on down the line because then if you have to write music or license music to cover up like really bad sound on your cameras and stuff then you're putting in music where you didn't want it to be you know there, there was a there was a study that was done i can't remember the film they had they had these pre-releases for these large studio films and they did one where they reduced the sound that the final sound mix by 30 decibel or 30 percent which is quite a bit mm-hmm. and people were walking out after the first act they just really? weren't getting it it's just because you have to have that visceral that that power in, in the audio, and it begins on set. And if you get bad location sound, then it affects what your composer can do. And it's like, it, it just is like the bad link in the chain, you know. Um, so that's my little. I like that. Up on the soapbox, you know. <laughs> my uh,
0: my film bite is something that I've learned from you in this interview, and um, that was trust your instincts. That was something that you you seemed to point out was that your first impressions when you get first see the film, oftentimes is the most important building block for where the music's going to go.
1: Emotionally, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah,
0: so I know a lot of times, I think also this can help uh, when people are, they, they keep going over and going over something, if you just keep re-editing and redoing things. A lot of times, your first instinct was the best place to be, yeah. and that you and should you sometimes lose your... just allow that to be there, right? and not over-scrutinize things till you become utterly confused which I think happens to, to people also
1: it's it's ultimately you kind of want to put yourself into the, the first time someone sees your creations like you know they're just going to walk into the theater they don't even know your project and you you somehow want to retain that like innocent um, attachment to it somehow you know but uh, so cool it's cool.
0: alright and on that note I guess we're going to close for today um, my uh, other advice to our listeners is floss daily um, <laughs> Do you floss daily?
1: Ooh. do. It, it, actually feel, it actually feels very refreshing. I like that. <laughs> it's
0: very good. <laughs> All right. So thanks, John, for being on the show. We really yeah. appreciate it. If anybody has any questions for, for John, you can email us at filmshots at gmail.com, or you can probably email him through his website, I believe. Is that uh, true?
1: It's just john at tonefactory.com.
0: All right. Great thanks John and um, I hope to see you soon and I appreciate you taking taking the time today
1: good evening.